You see, just as death came into the world through a man, now resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we belong, to, we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. At the, after that, the end will come, and he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having dis destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For Christ must reign until he humbles all, the, all of his enemies beneath his feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For the scriptures say God put all things under his authority. So the thing that I want you to see today is as we believe in the resurrection of Christ, we also believe in our resurrection. This all comes from the power that belongs to Christ. Christ was in control the entire time. Christ was not at the hands of the rulers. He was not at the hands of the Sadducees and Pharisees who turned him over. Uh, Christ was in control the entire time. And I, I have for you some different uh, scripture that I just want to read to you. Because I think that today it's important uh, that we, we look at the power that God had as, he was, as Christ was going through the, resurrect, the, uh, the death and resurrection. It's important for us to see the power, the fact that God was in control the whole time. It says in John 19, beginning of verse 6, you have to understand that what we're experiencing here in, in this particular passage is that uh, Judas has betrayed Jesus. Judas has turned him over. And now the leaders of the Jewish faith want to have Jesus crucified. And they want to have him crucified for one reason, and that is because he says that he is the Son of God. Anyone that says that they're the Son of God in the Jewish faith was uh, guilty of blasphemy against God. They are a liar, and, and they're the worst kind of liar because they're saying they're, they're of God. So this was a tremendous thing in the Jewish faith for somebody to say this. Um, they knew that Jesus had power. They could see the power that he had through the things that he did, but they didn't want to believe that he was truly the Messiah. You see, they had a different picture of what the Messiah would be in their minds, and, and they, they didn't want somebody to come in and uproot everything that they had been teaching and been teaching all of this external way of living your life and showing what a great spiritual person you are. And Jesus came into the world and he says, it's not about that. It's not about the external. It's about the internal. It's about where you are in your heart. And they didn't like that. As a matter of fact, they didn't like that so much so that um, they, they wanted to crucify him. What, for claiming to be the Son of God and claiming to have the truth, a truth that contradicted everything that they said. But they didn't want to be, they didn't be the, want to be the ones to do it. There's something that you need to understand here that, that's very critical. Um, the scriptures pointed to the fact that Jesus would be raised up, that Jesus would be lifted up and, and, and God would draw people unto him. And because of that, the only way for him to go through that would be for him to be crucified, which is to be put on a cross and to be raised up. And the only people that were doing that kind of, uh, that kind of torture and that kind of death in those days were the Romans. And the Romans were the ones that would crucify people and raise them up. So for him to die in the way that the scriptures had foretold, in the way that he said that he would die, he had to be lifted up. And the only way for that to happen is if the Romans 
were to crucify him. You see, the, the leaders, the Jewish leaders in that day, they, they, they wanted to kill him, but they wanted the Romans to be responsible for it. And though it seemed like that the Jewish people, the leaders were the ones that were, the Sadducees and Pharisees were the ones that were going to kill him and have him killed, it really, they had to turn him over to the, to the Roman leaders so that he could be crucified, which means to be raised up in accordance to what Scripture says. So they turn him over to Pilate. Pilate is the, the leader of the territory in that day, and they're... Uh, they're turning him over to Pilate. They want him crucified. And, and Pilate really can't find any, any guilt in him. But here we come in John chapter 19. I'm just going to read to you a passage in, in John chapter 19 where they describe this, where John describes this. When they saw him, the leading priests and the temple guards beginning, began shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! Take him yourselves and crucify him. Pilate says, I give you permission to go. You crucify him. I find him not guilty. So Pilate cannot find any reason to crucify him, and yet the the the, the leading priests and the temple guards are shouting, shouting to have him crucified. And the Jewish leaders replied in verse 7 of John chapter 19, the Jewish, Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought, to, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into his headquarters and again asked him, where are you from? He's not asking him, where are you physically from? He's asking him, from where have you come? And what, what spiritual realm have you come from? Because, see, Pilate would have looked at Jesus and understood the things that he's doing in, in, in more of his own religion and, and looked at him more as a god, as a worship in the Roman cultures. He would have looked at him more in that, that context because of the things that he was able to do and accomplish and the fact that he was hated so much. And he asked Jesus, he says, where have you come from? Well, Jesus gave no answer. It says in verse 10, verse 10, why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or crucify you? So here we're talking about the power. And Pilate is under the impression that he has the power. Pilate is under the impression that he has uh, the, the power to either, either crucify Jesus or to let him go. What Pilate does not realize is that the power belongs to Jesus Christ. In our lives, sometimes we look at things and we say, I have the power to do this or I have the power to do that. In reality, we're not looking to Jesus and recognize that he is the one with the real power. He is the one with the authority. He is the one that is able to accomplish things. That we have no real power. I've told you before and I've told you many times that control is an illusion. If you think that you have control, you are incorrect. Because I promise you that every single one of us will take our last breath. And you cannot control that. You can't even control when it will happen. And here, Jesus is, is, is in front of Pilate. Pilate is telling him, he says, don't you recognize the power that I have? And Jesus says, You have no power over me at all unless it were not given to you, unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. He says this, he says, you don't have any power over me. You're not the one that's going to send you to the cross. And the reality of the cross is, is that Jesus went to the cross willingly because from the very beginning of his life, 
He was destined for the cross. His entire life was pointing towards the crucifixion. I, 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 when, when Jesus was, was, was preaching in the synagogues, uh, the back door of the synagogues would always point toward Jerusalem. So that every time that, that, that Jesus would preach in one of the synagogues, he was always facing towards the place where he would die, always facing towards the cross, the cross of Calvary. Pilate was disillusioned, thinking that he had the power. No, no, no. God had the power. The only reason that Pilate had any power whatsoever is because God had put Jesus in that place and it had already been preordained, it had already been predestined that God would do this to his son, that he would sacrifice his son in this way. Pilate did not have control over that. Jesus was in control from the very beginning. But Pilate was disillusioned by that, that, that arrogancy that he had and thinking that he was in control. These Jewish leaders, uh, the leading priests and the temple guards that it's talking about here, you see, they had a real disdain for Jesus. Um, Jesus, uh, in one of the early accounts of, of one of the things that Jesus did in John chapter 2, Jesus goes into the temple where they're they are trading and bartering and selling animals to be sacrificed at the temple. And, and Jesus gets upset by this because people are taking advantage of people as they're selling and trading for these animals. And, 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 and Jesus is just terribly upset by what he sees. He's terribly upset by the fact that they've, they've turned this, this, this temple, a place of worship, into a marketplace where people are taking advantage of other people and they're trying to make income for themselves. And they're doing that in a ruthless way. And, and, and Jesus gets so fed up with it. He starts to, to drive everybody out of the temple the Jewish leaders, in John chapter 2, in verse 18, it says, But the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign and prove it. I think that this is so interesting that they say this. If God gave you the authority, if he gave you the power to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Jesus says in John chapter 2 verse 19 he says alright Jesus replied destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up what they exclaimed it is taking 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days what we know and what John knows is he's looking back at what had happened here Jesus wasn't talking about the building he wasn't talking about the place that they worshipped. He was talking about himself. It says in verse 21 that when Jesus said, this temple, he meant his own body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this. And they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. You see, the, 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 the Jewish priest had said, all right, show us, prove us, prove to us. That you are really the one that has this authority and you have this power. Jesus said, okay, I can do that. It'll take me three days to raise up this temple. No matter what you do, you're not in control. I will show you a miraculous sign. But it's not going to be in the way that you think that it's going to be. You know, I think that many times in our own lives so we question God in this way. We say, alright God... If you're going to do something, let me see it. I need you to do this and this and this in my life. And I need you to, to fix this problem and address this in my life. And the reality is, so many times we are thinking things should be one way. And God is saying, no, 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 no. 
if I have the real power and I have the real authority, then what the answer will come in my time and in my way. And here, even back in John chapter 2, one of the earliest accounts of an interaction with Jesus, and here, John's remembering what he said. He said, destroy this temple, in three days I will raise it up. Pointing to the resurrection of Christ. So we got Pilate thinking he's in control. We got the Jewish leaders asking for a miraculous sign. And we know that Jesus did go to the cross. We know that, that Jesus, um, they, they had the choice, the, the, the people in the crowd that day had the choice. They could either uh, crucify Barabbas, who was a killer, a murderer, or they could crucify Jesus. And they said, no, let Barabbas go and let's kill Jesus. So Jesus went to the cross. And here, even on the cross, Jesus is being scoffed at. He's being made fun of by one of the, the two men that are crucified on that day with Jesus. And they're even saying that, that one of these men is even saying that, that you don't have any power, Jesus. In Luke chapter 23, and I know I'm skipping all over, but all of these things are pointing towards the same end, and that is... Uh, here here in, in Luke chapter 23, we see in verse 39, it says, One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, So you're the Messiah, are you? He's saying, You have the power, huh? That is who you are. This is what the, the, the criminal says. It says, Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. He said, if you have the power, if you are really the Messiah, and you're really in control, prove it. Prove it. Let me see it. I think that people in today's environment, what we're going through with coronavirus and how it's affecting the world, they're saying, all right, God, if you're really God and you're really in control, prove it. Save us. Verse 40 says, but, one of the, but the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you are sentenced to die? Here, this other criminal had a different perspective. He says, you know what? You're so worried about saving yourself, but what you should really be worried about is a fear of God. You're, you're here, and you're in this desperate situation, and you're asking this man to prove that he's the Messiah. You know, what you should really be focused on is your fear of God. It should be something internal and not something external. I think this is a confession of this other criminal. He says, you know what? You're talking to a man, and, you're, and he begins to talk about fearing God. I believe that this is his confession of who Jesus really is. He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then Jesus said, then he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Professing that he is the Lord right there on the cross, right there on his deathbed. He is just a little while away from death. And you know what he's thinking about? Jesus and Jesus' kingdom. And this profession that this man had, the power of Jesus, he said, it's not dependent on whether or not we get off this cross or not. He says, remember me when your kingdom comes. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here on the cross, Jesus is saying, I 
am in control, and I am in control of paradise, and today you will be with me in paradise. He still has power hanging on the cross. They've just placed a, a crown of thorns around his head, blood dripping down his face, the flesh torn from his body, his arms and feet nailed to a cross, and he's still talking about the fact that he has the power to be in paradise and to bring people into that paradise on that very day. This is a man who looks, by all external accounts, he looks powerless. He looks like he has no power whatsoever. And here he is proclaiming, he says, you, because of your confession, because of your profession of who I am, he says, today you'll be with me in paradise. Jesus was in control. In Luke chapter 23, he goes on to say in verse 44, it says, By the time, by, by this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. And Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed, he breathed his last. Jesus was in control even to the point of his last breath, even to the point of saying when he would die, Jesus was in control. Jesus had power over his own death and said, now's the time. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those, he breathed his last. If you're doubting today about the power of Jesus, you say, that's all great and wonderful, Kenny. I, I understand all of that, but he still died. Oh, but that's just the beginning of the story. That's just the beginning of the good news. Yes, he died for our sins. And yes, he was beaten and, and, and he was hung on that cross for our sins. And, and, and while that is wonderful, as Paul points out in 1 Corinthians chapter 15... That is only part of the good news. If you, if you believe anything else besides the fact that he is resurrected from the dead, then that is only part of the good news. Because Matthew chapter 28, this is where we read the second part of that good news. This is where we are today in our celebration of Easter. Matthew 28 says this, Early on Sunday morning, as a new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the house to visit the tomb. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolling aside the stone and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards shook with fear as they, when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. And the angel spoke to the woman, he said, Don't be afraid. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He is not here. The power of Jesus exemplified in these few words, he isn't here. And from a human perspective, um, we have a tendency to look at that and go, well, has somebody taken him away? What happened to him? Did somebody come and steal his body in the middle of the night? Did the Romans not really put, did not allow his, his body to stay there to go and take him somewhere else? This angel said, he isn't here. He is risen from the dead, just as he said 
it happened. Jesus said this would happen, and through his power, he made it happen. And now he is not here. He says, come and see where the body was lying. And go now and quickly tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. Remember what I have told you. He says, all right, look, go and get, get his disciples together and, and tell them to go to Galilee and you'll see him there. The women quickly ran from the tomb. They were frightened but also filled with great joy and they rushed to, uh, rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they ran to him and grasped his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee. They will see me there. Jesus is risen from the dead. He has done exactly what he said he is going to do. He did that, uh, and the, the leaders, were the, the priests of that day were looking for him to prove it, and he raised that temple on the third day, just like he said that he would. He says, now go and, and get my brothers and tell them to meet me. So what I want you to see is that Jesus' power, it is great, through his trial and through his crucifixion. It is great through his resurrection. And now he's telling his disciples, it is going to be great through you. That now this power that I have, it's real. And now it's a part of you. And now you have a responsibility. Matthew 28, this is what we know as the Great Commission. This is where the rubber hits the road for all of us as believers who really believe that, that Jesus did resurrect from the dead. You see, because with that resurrection comes the responsibility for each and every one of us. With that resurrection and that power that exi was exhibited by Jesus Christ, he says something here that is key. It's key to what we believe. If we truly believe in the power of the resurrection, then we truly believe that we have to do as Jesus commanded us to do. And this command was not just to his disciples, it was a command to everybody that believes in the power of the resurrection. He says this in Matthew 28. Everyone knows this. He says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority on heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Um, in the midst of everything that's going on in our world and all the heartache and all the, the, the death and the sickness and people searching for what's going on, they're searching for answers or they're looking for some sort of sense of control. I think that the message that God is trying to get across to us is that you're not in control. Just like the thief on the cross, he's like, rescue us, save us. That will show that you're the Messiah. And the other thief is looking and says, don't you understand the fear of God? He said, I'm not worried about death. He says, remember me when your kingdom comes. Remember me when your kingdom comes. 
so many people are looking for a sign they're looking for an answer and the answer is the same as it's always been and the power exists in Jesus Christ and though you may look for the end here on this earth that's not the end that's not the end that God tells us about God tells us about a coming Jesus a Jesus who will return we're supposed to go and we're supposed to make disciples and we're supposed to teach these new disciples everything that God had taught us through his son Jesus. And he says, and I'll be with you even to the end of the age. So as we look at the end of the age, what does it look like? In Revelation chapter 22, beginning of verse 7, it says this. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who, are, who obey the words of the prophecy in this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard them and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers, the prophets, as well as all those who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. And he instructed me, don't seal up the prophetic words of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is who is evil continue to be evil. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes that will be permitted to enter into the gates of the city and eat the fruit of the tree of life. Outside the city are dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshippers, and all who live a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires to drink freely from the water of life. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. If anyone removes any of the words from the prophecy of this book, God will remove the person's share in the tree of life in the holy city that are described in this book. He who is faithful, he who is the faithful witnesses to all these things say, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. You see, the words described in Revelation, talking about the end of the age, as we just said, in Matthew 28, that's the end. That's the end. When God comes to be with his people, when God shows his ultimate power. You see, right now, in the place that we're in, God showed his power through his son, Jesus Christ. And now we're to go and make those disciples of Jesus Christ, teaching them everything that Jesus taught. To what end? To what end? Because Jesus is coming again. He says in Revelation 22, verse 20 says, Yes, I am coming soon. I think that as we celebrate Easter and as we celebrate the power of the resurrection, the fact that Jesus rebuilt the temple in three days, I think that 
We need to look at the power that exists in the end. When God finally sets everything right, when he casts evil into the lake of fire forever, we're able to dwell with God in the presence of God forever. We're able to, to just bask in his glory forever, and that will sustain us, and we don't ever have to sleep. We don't ever have to eat. All we have to do is just absorb God's glory in his presence. I think that that's the power we should lean into. I think as we look to the power of the resurrection, it should lead us to looking to the power of our resurrection and we will be able to dwell with God in the presence of God forever. It's called hope. It's called hope, and that hope exists at the core of our faith in the resurrection that will happen, that happen through Jesus Christ, the resurrection that will ultimately happen through us when his kingdom comes. So my question to you is this. As you're looking for answers in today's world, as you're looking for where is God, what is he doing, where is his power, the question is really this. Where is your hope? Where are you looking? Is your, your hope in the power of Jesus Christ to just save our world in the condition that it's in right now? Is your hope in the, in the power of Jesus Christ, the fact that he was able to raise himself from the dead and that we too will be raised from the dead? I don't think that we need to look right now. Um, I think that if we look right now, we just see the cross, and all we see is the devastation of that, but I think we need to look to the future, and that future is resurrection. Today represents the future. Today represents the resurrection. Today represents the future that we have, the resurrection that we'll have one day. Jesus is coming, and he's coming soon. His resurrection is real, and his power is real. He proved that to us through his own resurrection. He'll prove it again when he comes again. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for the power that exists in Jesus, our King. Lord, uh, we live in a time right now where we're frustrated and we're looking around and so many things are different about our world and so many things have changed and here we are on Easter even celebrating it online. A lot of people are wondering what's going on. They're wondering, where is the power of Jesus in this? And that power has not changed. We still celebrate the resurrection because that resurrection has not changed. The crucifixion has not changed. God, nothing has changed. God, you are still the same today as you have always been. Or the only thing that's different is what's going on around us. But that's not where our hope lies. Our hope doesn't, doesn't lie on what's going on around us. If it did, God, we'd be stuck on Friday. We'd be stuck at the crucifixion. God, but our hope lies in the resurrection, the day that is to come. And there's power in that. There's power in that resurrection. It's the same power that God has given to us to go and make disciples. He says, you know what? I, I've commissioned you. You've got this great commission to go and to tell people and to baptize them and to teach them everything that I taught you. Jesus is coming soon. We read about your coming again. We'll dwell in your presence. God, I pray that we can look to that future, to that hope, and to that power. And our power does not, our, our hope does not lie in, in what we have today, but God, it has everything to do with what the future holds for us and the power that exists through Jesus Christ. And that power will be exhibited when he comes again. So God, thank you. Thank you for showing us the power of your son. Thank you for the resurrection that happened after three days, God. Thank you for the fact that Jesus was in control every single step of the way. 
glorify you now through our praises.